Well, hello, everybody. It is so good to see you all. You're all looking very nice. Uh, I can't see you if you're watching online, but I assume that you are also looking very nice. And uh, I love you. And I'm so grateful that we could worship together like this and just celebrate the, the risen Christ. This is so great. So, uh, yeah, okay, I'm grateful. Let's do it. So, uh, there's a thing that we do, it's a traditional thing that's kind of been in the church for a long time. On Easter, if you're, if you're not familiar with this, uh, someone will say, he is risen, and you respond, he is risen indeed. So let's give it a shot. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Wow, that was incredible. You guys did an amazing job. Uh, well done. That is, that is why we say that thing. Okay, guys, all month we've been asking ourselves some pretty provocative questions uh, with the purpose of trying to help us understand and better appreciate what happened on Easter and, and on Good Friday, the original Good Friday, we've been asking some kind of unique questions. What if Jesus never lived, for example? What if he, he never lived at all? How would our world be different because of it? Uh, we asked, what if Jesus never taught? Last week we asked, what if Jesus never died? And this week we're asking the question, what if Jesus never rose again? Another way of asking it is, what actually changed in our world during that first Good Friday and Easter? How is our world, our, how are our lives different because of the fact that it happened? So that's what we're asking today. Now, in a sense, today is kind of part two of last week's message. They're kind of a two-part uh, message, and I'm assuming some of you haven't heard last week's message, so here's what I'm going to do. I want to give you a bit of a recap of, of what we talked about last week so you understand what we're talking about today. Essentially, we asked the question, what if Jesus never died? And I explained that if we're going to understand the death of Jesus on that cross, we've got to understand the whole story of the Bible because the meaning of the cross really only takes shape when we understand the large, broad story that it's a part of. So here's essentially what that story is about. It's about two things, blessings and curses. Blessings and curses, that, that those are pretty fundamental ideas in the Bible. Blessing, it, it's all about the fact that God has always longed since the very beginning, he's longed for humanity to, to experience blessing. Blessing is, is abundance and peace and wholeness and, and God's presence with us. That's what the whole Garden of Eden story was all about. It was, it was a life of blessing. But in the story, humanity kind of has other plans. We're kind of like, okay, God, yeah, that all sounds great, but we know better than you do what a good life is going to be. And so we, humans, we reject God's offer of blessing, and we go after other stuff. We go after uh, lust and pride and greed and selfishness. And, and eventually, as time goes on, as the story goes on, these... Uh, idols, these man-made idols of our world, we start to give them power over us. And these, these uh, idols, they end up actually telling us what to do. It's called sin, and it ends up controlling us. And the reason it's, this is the curse, uh, we are cursed by this, is because these, these, uh, these powers that control us, they don't let us experience freedom, and before long, we've got the consequence of that choice to reject God's offer of blessing. And that consequence is death. So that's the curse. The curse is when we reject blessing, when we reject Eden, the curse is that we get what we ask for. And what we ask for is essentially to do things our own way and be controlled by these man-made idols in our world. So 
That's kind of the, the basis of the story. Now to bring the whole story, it's a very long, beautiful story, make it very, very short. Essentially, on the cross, God did something that we were unable to do as humans. He actually took the consequence of our rebellion, of our rejection. He took the curse on himself uh, in Jesus Christ on that cross. The Bible actually says that, that Jesus became the curse for us. He became the curse for us and died, experienced the ultimate consequence of our rebellion. And he, he did that so that we could be free. That's the story that we talked about last week, and that's essentially where we left off. If you, if you had to sum it up, I would say this. Because Jesus died, the curse is over. The curse of sin, the curse of death, it's over. It's over. So that's where we left off. The curse is gone. Sin has lost its power. Death is defeated. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story because remember, from the very beginning, what does God want for us? He wants us to experience blessing. He wants us to, to return to Eden. He wants us to experience life, new life again. So when's that going to happen? Well, along with the storyline uh, in the Old Testament of this, uh, these blessings and curses and all of that, and the storyline of, of, of trying to get to a place of, of freedom for humanity— there's another storyline that begins to build. It's kind of parallel with this other story, and it's this vision of what a return to Eden, a return to blessing might actually look like. Uh, I, last week I talked about the Old Testament prophets. They kind of had a, a vision that God began to speak through them about how the curse was going to be dealt with through this someone greater, this righteous Israelite, you know, all that. But there was some other uh, other visions and dreams that began to, to well up in the prophets and they started to picture what was coming and, and what this, this return to Eden would look like. And so I want to give you a taste of some of that. Um, we're going to be kind of looking at a ton of different Bible verses or passages today. Normally when I preach I like to give you one particular passage and have you open it up in front of you so we can really dig deep. We're not going to do that. Today we're, we're kind of flying high and we're looking at a whole bunch of the Bible. If you want to follow or if you want to like have a Bible open in front of you, totally feel free. We're going to eventually end up in 2 Corinthians 5, so feel free to turn there. But for now, just know that I'll put all the passages up on the screen uh, as we go so you can read along. Okay, so let's talk about what these prophets were envisioning. What it boils down to is they began to picture a new creation. Now, the original story, God, God originally began creation and gave us the opportunity to experience blessing, but they started to realize this return to Eden would require a new creation. So here's some of the stuff that they imagined. Like in Isaiah, uh, this is God's voice. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Okay, so this is the Eden ideal. This is uh, no more grief, no more pain, a return to blessing, right? But not just that, not just that, because the prophets also began envisioning humanity once more at peace with one another. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. 
I love that imagery because it's like in Eden or, or in this new Eden, there's literally no point for swords because it's like, what do, why do I need weapons? Like this is pointless. I think what I'll do is I'll turn it into a farming implement because at least it'll have some use. There's no violence and so there's no need for weapons. I love that. I love that. But it's not just an absence of violence. In, in the new creation, there's also an image of the land that is abundant and overflowing with good things like this. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. You see this picture? It's it's abundance and feasting and plenty. It's beautiful. But it's not just that. It goes on. Uh, Even death itself, the prophets understood, death itself had no place in in this new creation. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will lie down to get, will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I love that. I get this like this mental image of like a five-year-old leading a parade with rabbits and cheetahs and orangutans, and everyone's just chilling together. It's basically like Narnia, right? That's what we're describing here. And this is what the Bible says. This is what new creation is like—a place without death. It's amazing. New creation. This is the life of blessing that God wants us to experience. Harmony with one another. Uh, Harmony with the earth. Harmony with other creatures. Abundance and life just springing up everywhere we look. But most importantly, this new creation includes one other aspect that it wouldn't be complete without it. And that is the presence of God. Blessing means that God is with us yet again, just like he was back in Eden. The Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. At last, at last, your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. Imagine that. Humanity no longer separated from our creator, back together again. It is beautiful. Now, One little side note here, I find this kind of interesting and maybe this might surprise you, but there is one thing that these prophets do not picture, at least it doesn't show up in scripture, something that they were not thinking about or imagining when they talked about new creation and it was this, and I've looked, I've not been able to find this anywhere, the prophets do not talk about going to heaven when we die. They don't talk about that. That's just not a part of their worldview. That's not how they see things. What they do talk about is is heaven, God's realm where God lives, coming to become a part of our realm, of earth. Heaven and earth becoming one. This is what they see when they look at new creation because that's what Eden was like. There was, it was like a heaven and earth were together in Eden and that's what they're dreaming of for this new creation with God's realm and our realm becoming one. That is what they imagined. Now, this is the hope, right? This is the hope that was sustaining the prophets, the people of Israel. They were writing these things hundreds of years before Jesus, but they imagined this new creation was on the way, and that hope sustained them. Even as they longed for the curse to be broken, as they, as they longed for the power of sin to be overcome, they also dreamt of this new creation ideal, the promises of what God would one day bring about when he returned humanity to Eden. So let's just take a second. I just want us to take a second and think about this. And, and in fact, I want us to make it personal. Let's actually think about it in our own lives. I want to ask you this. What would new creation look like for you? 
What would it look like for you? What would it mean for you to be blessed? And I'm not just talking here about like unlimited ice cream with no calories because that would be amazing, but I'm sure that's a part of new creation, but that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. I mean, what would it look like for God to wipe every tear from your eyes? What would it mean? What would it look like for you to experience that abundance and that blessing yet again? Would it be no more anxiety? Anxiety about the future? Maybe it would mean peace and, and harmony between your family members. Imagine that. Maybe it would mean no more bullies at your school or the end of the rat race for a paycheck. Maybe it would mean hearing God's voice clearly for the first time. Maybe it would mean healing for some of the pain that you're feeling, emotional, physical, mental pain. What would it look like for you? Get specific. Ask yourself this question. What would it look like for me to return to Eden? Take a second and ask yourself that. Now, I want you to hold on to that idea. Just hold on to it for a few moments. We're going to come back to it. Uh, but just keep that mental image in mind, all right? For now, what I want to do, I, I know I've introduced a bunch of ideas to you. I want to start to try to bring these threads together and get back to the question that we started our, our, our message with, which is, what if Jesus never rose from the grave? How does this all connect? Well, again, last week I talked about the curse, right? The curse of of humanity with us rejecting God's blessing and bringing the curse upon ourselves. Well, you know, that's how we ended up enslaved to greed and, and fame and sex and money and all the powers of this world. We were cursed and death was the ultimate consequence, right? Well, as we said last week, if Jesus never died, then that curse, that would be the end of the story. It would have never been dealt with we would still be trapped today under the power of sin and we'd have no escape. We would be trapped and cursed forever. Well, thankfully, he did die. He did die for us. But here's the thing. If Jesus never rose, well, then that death of his would have been kind of pointless. It really would have been kind of pointless. I mean, if Jesus was going to go to these great lengths, to, uh, to bear the sins of humanity, to become our curse for us, if he willingly died at the hands of these idolatrous powers of our world, but then he stayed dead? Well, that's not really much of a victory, is it? No, no. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians. He says, look, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Here's why. Here's why. Because all of our rejection of God's blessing, all of our sin that we give into again and again, it spirals us down to death every single time. Death of one kind or another. That's the curse, right? We're cursed with death. If Jesus never rose, well, then he would just be one more victim at the hands of death, just like the rest of us. We would still be stuck in our sin. But if God did raise Jesus to new life, well, it means that death doesn't have power anymore. The grave could not hold him down. It means that the curse has been overcome. 
that the cross actually worked. The death of Jesus dealt with the curse, yes, but his resurrection proved it. His resurrection proved it. Thank God that we live in a world where Jesus did die and rise again. Because it means that the curse is over, that we can actually be free. The empty tomb is proof that our world has actually changed. It's proof. But that's not all. That's not all that happened with the resurrection. Yes, it proved that the cross had worked, but there's more. There's a lot more. Because remember, what, what, what was God desiring from the very, very beginning, right? His desire was not just to, to free us from the curse. That's a part of it. But no, his desire was to bring us back to blessing, right? He wants us to be, uh, live that abundant life, that Eden kind of life. That's what he wants us to experience. Peace, abundance, uh, his presence. The ancient prophets that, that dreamt all these dreams about new creation, they were onto something here because they understood that that new creation is the end of the story. It's not just the end of the curse, it's a return to blessing. That's what the first Easter morning unlocked. The, the door to Eden was open again. Now, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then, then all those, those new creation ideas by these prophets, they would have been nothing more than the wishful thinking of some ancient bearded dudes. But if he did rise, if he rose again into new life, well, then it is proof that these dreams of the prophets had actually begun to be realized. You see, new creation, if Jesus rose, the new creation is not just some future ideal. No, it's, an, it's a present reality. The moment Jesus walked out of that grave, new creation had begun. God was always going to restore creation back to his, his ideal. He was going to bring humanity back into his presence, back to blessing. And at the resurrection, that work of renewal had finally kicked off. New creation started on Easter. But here's the thing that gets me really pumped up. Like I, I, This gets me so jazzed, but let me tell you, the thing that really, really pumps me up is that yes, one day, one day all of this, this dream of new creation, when Christ returns, this will be complete. We will live in blessing with God's presence forever. God will, will bring heaven and earth together. He will reconcile all things, all broken things. He will reconcile them all to himself. That's what we have to look forward to. And we've got to look forward to these, these bodies of ours being resurrected just like Jesus' bodies into something new. That's in the future, right? That's exciting. I hope that gives us hope. I hope we look at that and think, yes, that drives us to a place of hope and expectation. But here's what I don't want you to miss. This is what fires me up. It's the fact that new creation is also happening right now. New creation is happening now. You see, the moment that Christ rose from the grave in his resurrected body, new creation began and it has been spilling into our world ever since. Listen to this. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Literally in the Greek, he says, uh, anyone who is in Christ is new creation. Those are the words that he uses. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us, us, this task of reconciling people to him. 
For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Guys, we are new creations. This is not just some future thing. It is now. It's in your life. It's in my life. This is what Jesus spent all that time teaching his followers to understand. He, he showed us, showed his followers that we can spread new creation in our world right now. We can spread God's blessing. We can announce the end of the curse. We can spread an Eden kind of life. We can do it today. This is what he taught us. He taught us to, to care for the poor and the marginalized, didn't he? He taught us to love the unlovable, to share our abundance with generosity. He taught us to pursue justice. He taught us to stand up against violence. He taught us to live in harmony and peace and joy with everyone and everything, including the earth itself. We, we can heal the broken places of our world in Jesus' name and we can tell our friends and our neighbors and our classmates and our loved ones and anyone who will listen, come back to God. Come back to God because the curse is over and look, the gates to Eden are open yet again. That's what we can tell them. Yes, yes, we will experience new creation someday in all its fullness. But God is laying the groundwork for that right now through you and through me. This is what it means when we talk about having the Holy Spirit within us. This is what we're talking about because heaven is on earth now and it's right here. It's right here. These two realms are becoming one and it's in your heart and my heart. Isn't that amazing? That, that's how we are now able to choose blessing, to actually live a life that brings Eden and abundance into our world. The new creation, it began that first Easter morning and we get to be a part of it. We get to help it spread. It's amazing. Now, I know <laughs> that's a lot to chew on and maybe for some of you, this is something that you've never really heard the cross and the resurrection put in quite like these terms and, and I get it if this is a lot to chew on. So here's just what I wanna do. I wanna talk about well, I want to give you some encouragements. As your pastor, something that I, I just want to share from my heart, what I see for you out of all of this. So if you allow me, let me give you a few encouragements. First, first, um, a few moments ago, I asked you to think about what it would look like for you to experience new creation. What would it look like in your life to have God wipe the tears from your eyes? I want you to think again about what you imagined. Now, I don't know what that was. I don't know whether you were thinking about uh, things being made right in some cosmic terms or whether you were talking about in your mind a specific uh, broken part of your life or whatever it was. I don't know what it was. But regardless, I want you to hear something loud and clear. There is hope. There is hope. Our God is making all things new. All things. And that includes the brokenness that you are facing. The brokenness that you see around you. God is not, is not content to let us just sit with the end of the curse. He wants to bring us back to blessing. Now, his work to restore you, to, to bring life, it's not always going to look the way you expect. 
But I guarantee he is in the process of working on it right now. Right now. Here's, here's how I know this. And this is my own story. And I'll give it very briefly. But there was a season in my life when I was in college where I was just plain bitter. I was angry. I was cynical. And uh, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm wired to be the kind of person that I want everyone else to feel what I'm feeling. And so when I was bitter and cynical, guess what I wanted everyone else to feel? Bitter and cynical. And I was doing a great job of drawing everybody else into my darkness, right? Look at my journal. No, don't look at my journal entries from back then because they were not great. They were not great. I found myself, after dropping out of college, living in my parents' basement, depressed, anxious, frustrated, and completely lost. Okay, if, I, if you would ask me back then, what does new creation look like for you? I would have said anything else <laughs> at that point. And guess what God did for me? I don't know, he sent me to Kenya. I went and lived in Nairobi, Kenya for a year. I don't know why. I don't know why that was the door that he chose to take me through, but I'll tell you what. In that year, God shaped me into a new creation kind of person. He completely restored my purpose, my identity, uh, gave me a passion for ministry. And now look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm in full-time ministry and I have a reputation now, almost an annoying reputation of being the person who can't stop trying to get other people to feel joyful and hopeful about what's coming. That's like who I am now and I can't shut up about it. I'm sorry. It's just like, it, it's amazing to think what God will do if we open the door and allow him to work in our lives. And I tell you all of this just to let you know that you are not alone in this. You are not. You are not. This is our story. Our God is working to heal. Now, here's my encouragement to you. Here's my encouragement. Whatever it is that you thought of, whatever your new creation idea looks like for you, will you share it with somebody that you trust? Share it with somebody else. Tell them what you were thinking. It may be a little bit risky, depending on what it is that you were thinking about. But would you share it with others? Because by sharing your burden, by sharing your dream of new creation with another follower of Jesus, you may just be opening the door to God bringing new creation into your brokenness. Remember, God is reconciling all things to himself, right? Even the things that you are facing. This is why we are here as a community and not just as individuals. This is why we're the church. We are here to help inaugurate this new creation. And that looks like caring for one another and standing up for each other and bringing peace into each other's lives. You do not have to go through this alone. That's what I want you to hear. We are in this with you. So would you share your vision of new creation with someone that you trust? God is working. There is hope. Second, I want to remind you of something important. As followers of Jesus, we are meant to live out the resurrection in our lives. We are meant to be new creation people. As Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors, right? We are his representatives on this earth. So here's what I want you to hear. Uh, we can say to other people, come back to God. And you know why we can say that? Because hopefully, that's been our experience. We have come back to God. We've experienced the blessing. The curse is done with in our lives. We've experienced God's blessing. So we can say, come back to God. So here's my encouragement to you. If that's our mission, don't just sit on your hands and wait for heaven. Don't sit on your hands and wait for heaven. Let Jesus bring heaven to earth through you, through you. 
It does not matter how young or how old you are. You have a purpose in Christ. You have a destiny to help heal this broken world. It might look like healing other people's brokenness or spreading joy or fighting against injustice. Whatever it is, with your unique and God-given skills and gifts and purposes and passions and, and all of it, there is something in this world, some new creation work that is yours to do and only yours. There's no one else who's got the same job as you. God has called you into this. And let me tell you this, the, the world is waiting for you to actually step into this, to step into your destiny. The kingdom of God is waiting for you to spread your wings and live into who you really are. So don't sit on your hands. Don't sit on your hands. Here's another way of putting it. Don't just live the cross. Live the empty tomb. Be a new creation person in this world. And I'll tell you what, if we do this, as a community, if we as a, as a church, if we start to live out this kind of stuff and start spreading joy and a, abundance and peace into our world, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, this little spiritual family of ours is going to start looking an awful lot like Eden. And that's a message that preaches itself. People are going to want what we are experiencing. Finally, I want to speak to those of you who don't yet follow Jesus. Or maybe you'd say, I don't ever intend to follow Jesus. So, you know, maybe you're, you're dragged here against your will. I don't know. Whatever it is, if that's you, let me just speak to you for a moment. I get it. I'm a skeptical person. But I'll tell you what. I believe that this story, the story of blessings and curses, the story of the cross and the empty tomb, this story is what gives our broken world meaning. That's my, that's my uh, understanding of it all. It gives our world meaning. So let me just ask you this. What if, what if you were to start to see your story in relation to this story? What if you were to take that leap of faith and actually follow Jesus, surrender your life to him and, and be a new creation kind of person, bringing life and joy and abundance into your world in his name? What if you did that? Look, worst case scenario, if it is all made up, if it's all just, just fantasy and wishful thinking, if that's the case, worst case scenario, you'll end up being a more joyful person who spreads life and joy and, and maybe a little bit of light instead of darkness in our broken world, okay? Worst case scenario. But best case scenario, if it is true, then you may very well be participating in the renewal of our broken world and in the process you may just discover the reason that you were born. You were made for more. You were. And let me tell you, you as a new creation in Jesus, look out. That's the kind of person that's going to change this world. Follow Jesus and you will come alive. And I know that because it happened to me. It's my story. I believe it'll happen with you too. Well, Grace Church, our God, as we've talked about all month, is a God of unfailing love and faithfulness. Isn't that amazing? That he would so relentlessly uh, pursue us with his desire to bring us back to blessing. If I was him, I would have given up many, 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 many more times. And yet he doesn't. 
He keeps pursuing us to bring us back to Eden, to bring us back to blessing. Can we be grateful today that our God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances? Praise God that he was willing to end the curse and that he was willing to open again the doors to Eden. This Easter, I just hope and pray that we would remember how beautiful our Savior really is. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, anytime I think about all this, I get pretty overwhelmed because it's just so wild that you would be so relentless in your love, your your self-giving love. Father, we don't deserve it. We keep rejecting you, and yet you keep coming after us, keep opening the door, keep drawing us back. And so, Father, my prayer is that for everyone who's hearing my voice right now, that as we think about the resurrection and the empty tomb, that we would have a renewed gratitude for what you've done for us. And I pray, Father, that as we go into this world, this, this, this day, this week, this month, this year, I pray, Father, that we would, would step into our calling as new creation people and that your Holy Spirit would guide us to spread Eden now and not just someday. Father, help us to find our purpose in you so that we can Tell everyone who will listen, come back to God. Because we know that that's a message that has changed us forever. We love you, Father, and we are so grateful for your son, Jesus, and all he did for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.